Grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're only going to read four chapters today. 1 Samuel chapter 4. This time, Bridge Kids dismissed. If any of them showed up this weekend, uh, they are, you are dismissed at this time. 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 of chapter 4. Then we'll skip down to verse 19, finish the chapter. Then we'll go over to chapter number 7 beginning with verse number 3. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 1 through verse number 11, and then 19 through 22. Let us stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. First Samuel chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer. The Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up the line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who called about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before these Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What's does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Anyways, take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, uh-oh, and Israel was defeated. And they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter. For 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. The ark of God was captured. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, that's Eli, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said to her, do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. She did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel 
the ark of God has been captured. Chapter 7. It is so good to hear some pages turn in this days of phones and iPads and Androids. I don't know what those are, but. Chapter 7, verse number 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the bells and the Ashtoreth and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now, ah, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. That's good. Let's stop there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, now have your way in this place. We need you right now, God. We need a word from the Lord. God, illuminate our minds. Open our eyes that we may behold the wonderful truth of your word. God, soften our hearts that we may acknowledge our sin, turn from it, and turn to you in repentance. Now, God, in spite of your servant, use me now, for your people need a word from you. God, we ask for the sake of your great name, speak, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1, opens this arc narrative by telling us that the word of the Lord came through Samuel to all of Israel. And we learned that this is actually something that is somewhat of a unique development in the life and history of Israel. Because prior to this, in chapter 3, verse 1, we learned that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And it was rare, we learned, because God's people, especially the leaders of God's people, dishonored the Lord and his word. And now the question that asks us, God speaks now through the prophet Samuel. The word of the Lord comes through Samuel in chapter 3, but now we hear in verse chapter in verse 1 in chapter 4 that the word of the Lord now is coming to all Israel. The question 
that the reader may ask or should ask is, has the revelation of God's word made any difference in the lives of God's people? Has the revelation of God's word made any difference in the lives of God's people? That's where our narrative picks up today. Verse 2 of chapter 4 says that Israel now is in battle against the Philistines. And immediately we learn that Israel is defeated in this battle against the Philistines. And when they return to the camp, they ask this question in verse number 3. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? That is the first big issue of this text, and that's the defeat of God's people. This, this beloved, ought to cause you a little bit of discomfort because we know here on this side of the cross, we have God's word that says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? But yet here on the other side of the cross, we see God not being for his people. They lose in battle against their enemies. And their question is, why has the Lord defeated us today? They wanted to know why the Lord hadn't fought their battle and won them the victory. But they have... I believe every right to expect God to have fought their battle and given them the victory because he did it before. And y'all say that if he did it before, he can do it again. I, I believe that, but here on this again, God doesn't do it. He, 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 he's the God that is usually for them. He's got a track record that says he will fight for them. So why has God not fought for them this time? And this situation, this predicament that we find our, that Israel finds themselves in is not unique to them. Some of us have been in similar situations. We've been in the place where we've asked and questioned, why is God not giving me the victory over my enemies? God, why do I keep being defeated by sin and Satan? God, why are you allowing trouble to visit my home? God, why is suffering here? God, why won't you change my situation? Somebody in this room or on this stream this morning is, has that three-letter word question, why? So here is Israel. Lord, why have you defeated us? Israel's solution to their problem, according to the text, is, you know what? Go get the ark. Go, go, go get the ark of the covenant of the Lord and, uh, and bring it from the tabernacle at Shiloh. And let's bring it here to the camp here at Ebenezer. You, for review, you remember the ark. The ark was a piece of furniture in the tabernacle that represented God's presence among his people. It was a chest or a box that housed the words of the covenant between God and his people. And then on top of that box sat the mercy seat. The mercy seat, that was the place where the, uh, the priest would sprinkle blood uh, to atone for the sins of God's people. And there God would extend mercy towards his people. That ark was to be kept in the tabernacle. However, Israel says, we've been defeated by our enemies. We need to go get some furniture. So they go get the furniture and bring it into the camp 
with hopes of God saving them from their enemies. And that's where we are in the narrative. And so the author would would expect for us to ask the question, will God save them now that the ark is there? Verse 10 says, and the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. The ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest, died. God did not save his people. So we're still left with the original question of the elders of Israel. Why has the Lord defeated us today? And beloved, I'm convinced that Israel's question actually reveals their own blindness. They think God is at fault for their defeat. But in reality, they are at fault for their defeat. Okay, let me show it to you. Let's back, 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 back that thing up. Verse chapter 4, verse number 1. Verse number 4. Verse chapter 4, verse number 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Say word. That's the first piece of evidence. Second piece of evidence. They bring the ark. What's in the ark? The word of the covenant. Say word. Their problem is the word. See, they have forsaken the word of the Lord. And it's evident in their disobedience and their rebellion against their God. Instead, beloved, of asking why has God defeated us, they should have been asking God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Beloved, when it seems God is not on our side, this ought to be our prayer. Rather than pointing the finger at God, we ought to look at those three pointing right back to ourselves and say, Lord, search me. See if you find anything that's wicked, Lord. Take it out. That's the question that we need to be asking ourselves this morning when it seems God is not on our side. God, reveal the iniquity of my heart. Reveal the idols of my heart. Reveal the rebellious parts of my heart. They had had said God's word, we don't want to hear it. I think there's another reason God allows them to be defeated. They say, let's go get the ark, bring it up here where we are, and let's see if God will save us from our enemies. They they thought if they brought the ark, they would receive the blessings of God's presence. And they knew that there is power in the presence of God. And so they said, hey, let's bring the ark. Let's get God's presence among us and we, he will save us. Israel wanted God's blessings while they were in open rebellion against his word. They wanted God to save them despite their sin against God. They wanted God's favor despite their failures. And God says, makes it clear to Israel that that's not how we set up this relationship from the beginning. He has already told them that that, that if they are faithful to his covenant, Deuteronomy, he tells them, if you are faithful to the covenant, I'll bless you. But if you are disobedient to the covenant, I'll curse you. And Israel wants God to to, to go against his word. He wants them to bless. They want God to bless them despite their disobedience. Beloved, God going against his word is impossible for God. 
God is a man of his word. God is not a man that he should lie. Matter of fact, God shows us even in these first 11 verses that God is a man that is faithful to his word because at the end, verse 11, here's what we hear. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Okay, y'all forgot last week's sermon, so let me rewind that thing on y'all and, and give it to you again. Here it is. Remember last week, an unnamed man of God comes to Eli and tells Eli that he has honored his sons above honoring God. And God, as a result, because he has despised God, God, say, God says through this man of God, Eli, your house is going to come falling down. And here's the sign. Your two sons are going to die on the same day. You didn't like that piece of evidence. Go to chapter 3. The word of the Lord comes to Samuel, and Samuel gets the same word that came through this unknown man of God. Tell Eli he's going down. And what happens here in chapter 4, verse 11? The two sons die. God's word has proven faith. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Beloved, many of us are like Israel. We want God's favor while we defy his word. We expect God's blessing while we disobey his law. And friends, this is simply, uh, it doesn't work like this. For God to be true to himself, he must deal with sin. And God deals with Israel's sin and our sin by saying, I'm not going to fight this battle on your behalf. But, beloved, sometimes God disciplines us by allowing us to suffer defeat. And here's what's ironic. When we come to chapter 4, verse 1, we learn that they are camped at a place called Ebenezer. Say Ebenezer. That word in the Hebrew means help. But ironically, God does not come to their help. Beloved, when we continually disobey God's word, God may discipline us by withdrawing his help. So, the ark is captured. The ark goes into enemy hands. When Eli, the priest, hears that the ark has been captured, he falls out of his seat because he's so heavy, breaks his neck, and dies. Eli has a daughter-in-law that's pregnant. When she hears the news of the death of her father-in-law, her husband, and the capture of the ark, she goes into what seems to be premature labor and gives birth to a baby boy. And, and the women, the women try to pepper up and say, look, you, you've got a son. Cheer on up. And she's like, I can't have joy. So I'm going to name this son of mine Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. That's what I want us to look at secondly. The first question that we dealt with is, why has God defeated us? Second question that we need to deal with in this text is, where is the glory? So let's look at the departure of God's glory. That word departed can also be translated exiled. So the name of that child means the glory has been exiled. What happens, beloved, when God's glory goes into exile? Where is the glory? That's the question that needs to be answered. It's going to be answered for these next couple of chapters. Now, before we move forward so that we have a common language and common understanding, I want us to, to, to think about how this term glory is being used in this context. Here is how I define glory in today's text. Glory means the manifestation of God's presence. Glory 
is the manifestation of God's presence. Glory is the sign or the evidence that shows the existence of God's presence. I believe I'm on, I'm on solid biblical ground. If you go over to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, you, we, we hear that Solomon has built this beautiful temple. And once the temple is completed, he has the ark brought into the most holy place. The Levitical singers and musicians make music and they start to sing, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. When the people of God start making noise and declaring his glory and start making music, the Lord, the Lord, because you do know the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. The Lord shows up in the temple in the form of a cloud. And the, the scripture says that the cloud was so thick that the priest couldn't even stand to minister. And here's what it says. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. He, he, it was clear. His presence was manifested. It was his glory. So this cloud, the manifestation was his glory. So we're using this term glory to refer to the presence of God. So the question, getting back to the text, is where is the glory? Let's move on to chapter 5. Chapter 5 says the Philistines, they've captured the ark and they put it in the house of Dagon. Dagon was the chief deity of the Philistines. And now God is in the temple of Dagon, which means that they see this God, our God, Israel's God, as inferior to their God. They see Israel's God as subordinate to Dagon. And so they put the ark in the house of Dagon. This is chapter 5. And so the next morning when the people uh, 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 wake up, not Israel but their enemies, when they wake up, they see Dagon has fallen face down on the ground before the ark. <laughs> and so they, they, it says that the people took Dagon, and this is literally what the ESV says, and they put him back in his place. So they put, put him back in his place. The very next day, they come and they see Dagon and fell down again. But this time, his head and his hands have been cut off. So let's answer this question. Where is the glory? The glory of God is showing the world that every other God has to bow down before the sovereignty of the Lord. <laughs> Where, where is the glory? He's chopping down, cutting off the heads of every other idol. Where is the glory? Showing the nations that he is the Lord. Where is the glory? Let's, 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 let's move forward. So this ark is in the house of Dagon. And the people of Ashdod, which is where this house of Dagon was, they are now afflicted with tumors. Chapter 5, verse 6 says, And the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. Say heavy. So, these, so Ashdod says, we got to get this ark out of our city. And so they say, let's take it down to Gath. So they uh, take it down to Gath. Verse 9 of chapter 5 says, And the hand of the Lord was against the city. God say, Oh, no, 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 no. Take this furniture and get it out of our house. Take, move it along. And so they say, Let's send it on down to Ekron. Verse 11 says, The hand of God was very heavy there. Say heavy. That word heavy shares the same Hebrew root as the word glory. That word glory, the, the dictionary definition of glory means, it literally means heavy, weighty. So then, let's answer this question again. Where is the glory? God is showing that he will be glorified one way or the other. 
He will either get glory through judgment or through salvation. Here, God is declaring his glory through judgment of the nations that refuse to acknowledge him as the one true and living God. Even in exile, God is displaying and declaring his glory. The nations and God's people, by the way, because it ends up going to Beth Shemesh, which is a place where God's people were. And and even there, God's people are judged because they looked upon the ark, which which means that they did not take the holiness of God seriously. Beloved, we pray, we sing, and we ask for God's presence, but we need to understand that God's presence is weighty. It is heavy. And God's presence must be treated with holiness. And for all those who profane his glory, his presence, God will be heavy-handed. Let, let, let me shock some of y'all. I grew up in a, a place, time, and with a mama who would whoop your behind. Y'all call it spankings, we call it whoopings. Y'all spank my mama what? Typically, it was with a belt, but if it wasn't near, she'd find whatever she could. Look, y'all ready to call somebody on my mama. Look, I'm y'all's pastor now. Y'all better thank my mama for whooping my behind. There were some people that if they said they were going to whoop me, it didn't bother me that much because they just kind of gave you a pack. But there were some people who had big old hands like Manuel. And you, you just know, uh-uh, don't touch me, don't play with me because he got heavy hands. If, if Manuel play with you like he going to tap you on the shoulder, you'd be hurting for the next few days. He, he heavy Handed. Some people don't even touch me because your hands are too heavy. And beloved, God is like that. For people who who, who won't obey him, won't acknowledge him as God, he can be heavy-handed. Why has the Lord defeated us? Because God's hand is heavy against us. Where is the glory? Being heavy. Against the people, the nations who refuse to acknowledge him. God shows one way or the other he's going to get his glory. And it's either going to come through judgment or through salvation. Let's shout now. Let's run run to chapter 7. We've seen the defeat of God's people. We've seen the departure of God's glory. We get to chapter 7 and we learn between verse 2 and verse 3 of chapter 7, 20 years have passed. The ark still hasn't made it back to Shiloh. And still, God's people are having to deal with the same old enemy, the Philistines. And so Samuel does what I believe he's been doing the last 20 years, preaching God's word. And so here's God's word through Samuel to God's people. Look at chapter 7, verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks. From among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. Then he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the bales and the asterisks and they serve the Lord only. Let's look now at the deliverance of God's people. What is it? What must happen? What happens? where where defeat turns into deliverance. First of all, there's returning. God's glory has has been exiled. How do we get it back? 
we must return, repent. And Samuel tells them that this is what true repentance looks like. Repentance requires turning away from idolatry. And beloved, this even, they even did this of God. They took the furniture, they had made the furniture, the ark, an idol. When it was only supposed to symbolize that their God was among them. That's, that, that, that's why, he, anyways, he, he says, I, I'm gonna, repentance requires turning away from idolatry. He says, that, that means you got to put away, throw them away, tear them down. Turn away from idolatry. And then watch this, he doesn't leave them there. And he says, and direct your heart to the Lord. So, so there is a negative and a positive turns here to repentance. We turn away from idolatry, from the given, from the things that we love more than we love, from, from, that makes us, from, we turn away from loving these things and turn to loving God. We turn from an idol and turn to the true and living God. Turn from, turn to, turn from, turn to. That is repentance. Repentance requires a commitment to serving the Lord exclusively. See, Israel wanted it both ways. They wanted to, to, to eat their cake. They wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They, they, they wanted to say, yeah, we're going to have God, the Lord, but we also want to have all these other gods too. They had turned polytheistic. They, they wanted to serve many gods. Samuel says, no, that's not how it works. You, you serve a God that is jealous. And this God will not share his glory with another. The Lord must be worshipped exclusively. He must be the one and only. Only then will God bring deliverance when we turn away from whatever we've been serving before and turn exclusively to the Lord our God. So there's repentance. The Philistines showed, they hear that Israel is at Mizpah and they say, let's go get them. See, see they, they, they realize we beat them once, then we can beat them again. Israel realizes, they, get, they are afraid now, they realize they beat us once, they're probably going to beat us again. They both are going off prior history. And so here's what Israel does. They run to Samuel and they say, Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. They finally get it. They realize that if we are going to be delivered, it's not going to be in our own power. It's not going to come from furniture. We're going to have to cry out to the Lord. They finally got to the point where they said, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Lord, you are my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, Lord, how I need you. And if you want deliverance to come, beloved, you have to get to the place to where you realize, Lord, I need you. I'm weak in my own power. Lord, I need you. And beloved, let me give you this for free. Weakness is a sign of strength. Come here, Paul. Paul says, I got this thorn. I done prayed three times. But here's what the Lord showed me is that, that, that in my weakness, he shows his strength. The, the, beloved, some of us need to hear this. This is, this is for free. I'll get back on text in a minute. Some of us need to hear this. Stop being so strong. The reason deliverance is so pervasive is because you are trying to be too strong. This is just what the Lord was sharing with me with this week. They say I'm supposed to preach out of the overflow of my own devotion. So let me just tell you what the Lord told me this week. He said, listen, the reason you've been so weak for so long is because you've been trying to be too strong. He said this, and he showed it to me. Growing up as, as, a, as a man, a male, you hear, you better not cry. Stop being a little girl. 
Stop being a little sissy. You better not cry. Be strong. Toughen up. I heard that as a man, I, I had to be strong. Then I became a husband. I had to be strong for my wife. I'm supposed to be her protector. Be, I had to be strong. And then, then, then BJ made me a father. I got children now. Matter of fact, I got three of them now. I got to be strong for my children. I'm the daddy. I got to show my son how to be strong. I got to show my daughters what a strong man looks like. Then I became a pastor. People, I'm the shepherd. And, and these are my sheep. I, I, I've got to pastor them, walk with them through trials and tribulations. They, they, they need a strong pastor. And so I try to just be strong because all these roles have demanded for me to be strong. And so what I did these last few years is, you know what? You got to be strong. Just grit your teeth and make it through. Keep showing up every Sunday and preaching. Keep waking up every morning and being a good husband. Keep showing up every day and being a good father. Keep, keep showing up every day and, and, and be a man, whatever that looks like. You just got to be strong. And my strength destroyed me. God showed me that because I've been trying to be so strong, I've been trying to make it through in my own power, it was destroying me. It wasn't until I became weak. And, and weakness is this. I'm acknowledging that I ain't strong enough. And so I need to run to the one who has all power. <laughs> I need to run to that strength and, 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 and draw off his power and his strength. That's what weakness is. Weakness is saying, I am not God. He is. Beloved, that's where many of us need to get to. We need to get to the point where we stop being so strong and become weak so that we, weakness is acknowledging that, God, I depend on you. I need you every moment, every second, every minute, every hour, every day. That's what weakness looks like. It is running to the Lord, falling to your knees and crying out, Lord, I need you. Come, come, Lord, fight this battle. I can't do it on my own. Lord, do it for me. Israel finally gets to that place. They realize that they can't do it. So they say, we need to cry out to the Lord. That's what they should have done from the very beginning. Instead of calling for a piece of furniture, they should have been crying out to the Lord. Lord, we got these enemies in front of us. Come, come fight this battle, Lord. We need you. And some of us are in a place today where we cannot get the deliverance we need, the breakthrough we need, because we are trying to do it in our own power. There was this turning away and turning to. There was this crying out. But then there was also repentance requires, beloved, not only is, does repentance require the sight of sin and the sorrow of sin, but repentance also requires the confession of sin. And corporately, in chapter 7, they declare, we have sinned against the Lord. They acknowledge it. They confess it. Here's what Samuel do does. He goes and get a nursing lamb. Because wherever sin, wherever there is sin, there must be death. And so he goes and gets this nursing lamb kills it, and sacrifices it. And the blood, it's too easy. The blood, the blood made the difference. The blood covered their sin the blood made them right with their God. And now, now, after repentance, after crying out to God, after confessing their sins, after blood has been shed, God says, now 
deliverance will come. Now, the same enemy that defeated you in chapter 4 is the enemy that I'm going to defeat now on your behalf. Where is the glory? Wherever God is saving his own people. Where is the glory? Wherever there are people rejoicing that the blood, that they've been covered by the blood. Where, where is the glory? Actually, there's another question that this point was supposed to answer. I got happy, and, if I, and I forgot to tell you. Look, look, look at chapter 6. Run with me there. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Chapter 6. Verse number 20. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord? <laughs> this holy God. Here's the third question that the text is tailored to teach us this morning. Who can stand before a holy God? Those who come to the Lord through the blood of the Lamb. Who can stand before a holy God? Those who turn to the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus the Christ. Who can stand before a holy God? Those who come by faith in the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. And so now they have been delivered from the enemy and they said, no, nah, we got to we got to remember this because this is a great defeat. This is a great deliverance. We need to re be reminded that the Lord delivered us on this day. So Samuel took a stone and he set it up there and he called it Ebenezer. Say Ebenezer. What does Ebenezer mean? Help. There they remembered that the Lord came to their rescue. There they remembered that the Lord came and helped them. There they remembered that all of their help comes from the Lord. There they remember that the Lord their God is a very present help in the time of trouble. And there's somebody in this room or on this stream this morning that needs to know that you are in a, you are in a place where you need God's help. And God says, if you want my help, I'm here ready. And when I deliver you and when I provide the help, you better remember. You better have some kind of place or thing that helps you remember that I've helped you. Beloved, we were in a place where we were helpless. We couldn't help ourselves because we were so deep in sin. We all had fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result, we all deserve death, the separation. We were helpless, but even in the midst of our helplessness, God came and he helped us and he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And there at the cross, at the cross, he, Jesus died our death on our behalf. At the cross, he took the punishment, our punishment upon himself. At the cross, Jesus took God's wrath that we so rightly deserve. There God helped us. And because God came to our help, all of those who believe in Jesus Christ, all of those who run to the cross, they are saved. They are delivered. They are rescued. God has helped us. Even despite our sin, God has helped us. And if you are here today and you need some help, God says, run to me. Cry out to me. I'm here. Give me glory. Give me honor. Give me praise. I'm here. I will help you. There is somebody in this room, you are facing some situations that are greater than you. You are in the midst of some situations. You don't know how to get out of it. Today we need to remember Ebenezer. He is the God who will help us, who will come to our rescue, who will come to deliver us. 
God came to our help at the cross. At the cross, we, God gets glory through both judgment and salvation. There, at the cross, and we have our own memorial where we remember that God has helped us. We come to the table. Communion, the Lord's Supper. It's the place of memorial, the place of remembrance, the place where God meets us to remember that he has helped us. This place, the table, reminds us that he has helped us so much that we have the victory. Because he has helped us, we can stand before this most holy God. Because he has helped us. We come before this table to remember that God is our very present help. Worship team, come back. No one can st stand against the Lord. Their God has no rival. Today, the worship team is going to help us remember that we have the victory, not because of our own power, because of Jesus Christ, who has defeated, defeated sin, Satan, and death. Beloved, God is here to help you, whatever you may need this morning. But beloved, you must remember that you owe God honor, reverence, and praise. God deserves the glory, and he will get it one way or the other. And for those of us who are in this room today, to all those who hear the good news, God says, I want to be glorified in me saving you. But, my key keyboard, keyboard. But if not, God will get his glory by his wrath being upon you. And you will come under God's judgment. Let us stand as we sing in response to God's word on today.